Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Friday, December 23rd, 2022. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. Senator Lindsey Graham says that Putin, the Russian president, must be taken out. So Graham uh, said this on Wednesday, and this is the second time that he's called for Vladimir Putin to be assassinated. He said that the only way the war in Ukraine could end is if Russia breaks and someone takes Putin out. So he said this uh, on Fox News, on America Reports was the program. He said, quote, How does this war end when Russia breaks and they take Putin out? Anything short of that, the war is going to continue, end quote. Uh, He went on to say that the U.S., quote, is in it to win it. And the only way you're going to win it is to break the Russian military and have somebody in Russia take Putin out to give the Russian people a new lease on life, end quote. So he made similar comments back in March, much earlier in the war. He asked if there was a, I believe he also said this on Fox News and he tweeted it out as well. He asked if there was a Brutus in Russia who could take Putin out, who could kill Putin. I mean, this is just an extremely provocative thing for an American government official to say. And he also said, Uh, on Wednesday, that the Biden administration should send Ukraine the advanced and long-range weapons that it's it's been asking for, the things that the Biden administration has been hesitant to send, like the longer-range missiles and uh, drones. And when he was asked to what extent the U.S. should continue to support Ukraine, he replied, to what extent the U.S. should keep aiding Ukraine in the war, he replied, completely and that America should be all in. And he said that the U.S. needs to provide Ukraine with these longer-range weapons to help dislodge Russia from areas of eastern Ukraine, including Crimea. He said that if Ukraine had larger drones, such as Reapers and Gray Eagles, that Ukraine would, quote, kill tons of Russians without losing any Ukrainians in the endeavor, end quote. So kill tons of Russians is what he said. And Ukraine has asked for Gray Eagle drones, which can fly for about 30 hours, and they're capable of carrying powerful Hellfire missiles. So that's that's a serious weapon. If the U.S. chooses to send that to Ukraine, it would be a huge escalation. <clears throat> and Ukraine has asked for them, but so far the, the Biden administration has held off from sending them. So you see what he's saying here. I mean, just about as hawkish as you could possibly get, you know, short of saying that the U.S. should do it. You know, he's saying that Ukraine should do it and that somebody in Russia should kill Putin. But still, it's just very, very provocative. And I think, uh, you know, when it comes to Republicans in the Senate, him and, and you know, Tom Cotton and people like that are, are the biggest hawks. All right. The next article here, the Senate passed the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that includes $45 billion for Ukraine. So this was on Thursday. They advanced this mammoth bill 
Um, so it all, it includes the 45 billion for Ukraine aid, and it also includes 858 billion dollars. That's for the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. It's the military spending bill, and it passed in a vote of 68 to 29, with only Republicans voting against it. The legislation now heads to the House, and it needs to be enacted. It needs to be passed by the House and signed by Biden before midnight on Friday to avert a partial government shutdown. And the passage of this bill, it came a day after Zelensky made his trip to Washington and addressed Congress. So just to keep you updated on the numbers, the $45 billion aid package brings total U.S. spending on the conflict in Ukraine to about $112 billion. Only, and this is only taking into account emergency funds that have been authorized explicitly for the war because there's other ways that Ukraine is getting aid, including in the NDAA. That includes an additional $800 million in military aid for Ukraine. I think there's some other things in there. And a big, a major thing that this NDAA does, it's, it's going to make it easier for the U.S. to arm Ukraine by granting the Pentagon these wartime purchasing powers. It, it waives restrictions for arms pur- purchases for certain weapons. The weapons are listed in the NDAA. It's a lot of the stuff they've been sending to Ukraine. And it also includes the things, the longer range weapons that Ukraine's been asking for. So it's a sign that the U.S. is eventually going to hand them over. Um, and, and most of the weapons are made by Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. They're the big winners. And this NDAA, it also includes unprecedented military aid for Taiwan. They're not just trying to provoke Russia more. They're also uh, looking to anger China. And, you know, China views this aid as a major provocation. The U.S. has sold Taiwan weapons since 1979, since the U.S. severed diplomatic relations with Taipei. But never before has the U.S. financed these deals. And the NDAA is going to give Taiwan $3 billion in, in annual military aid for 2023. So it's very significant. You know, before Ukraine started getting all this cash, Israel was the top recipient of U.S. military aid, annual military aid at $3.8 billion. So Taiwan is going to be second to Israel. So it's a big deal. Uh, you could see where, and we know that they're preparing for war with China. That's what the Pentagon says. That's what all other, Amer- you know, federal agencies say. That's the name of the game. Even as they're Spending all this money on Ukraine, they still say, you know, China in the long run is the top priority. All right, the next article here. So half, more than half of House Republicans did not attend Zelensky's address. And this is according to numbers uh, that The Hill put out. They said 86 out of 213 House Republicans were at the Capitol for Zelensky's speech. So only 86 out of 213. Now, some of the absences could be explained by lawmakers getting an early start on Christmas travel. So according to The Hill, about one third of House members had letters to vote by proxy on Wednesday, meaning that they wouldn't be there for votes, but their people would vote for them. Um, But some of this still, there is opposition, the growing opposition to the policy of arming Ukraine among Republicans. Uh, Ahead of Zelensky's address, Thomas Massey, who I always mention because I think he's one of the best when it comes to this issue, uh, he wrote on Twitter that he would not be attending Zelensky's speech 
I called him a Ukrainian lobbyist. And some Republicans that attended the address were spotted sitting down, you know, during moments while the rest of Congress was giving Zelensky a standing ovation. You know, it was basically a State of the Union address, except uh, everybody was giving the standing ovation except for a handful of Republicans. And two of them were Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert. And after Zelensky's speech, Boebert put out a video on Twitter saying that she would not support sending additional money to Ukraine until Congress receives a full audit of how the money has been spent. And then Gates released a statement that said Zelensky should be commended for putting his country first, but that American politicians who um, indulge in, in what he's asking for are unwilling to do the same for you know America. And Gates said that his speech did not change his stance on that he wants to suspend all aid to Ukraine. And uh, Rep. Warren Davidson, he's a Republican from Ohio, he, he also attended the address, uh, but he said that the speech sent the wrong message. He said, quote, we should be focused on trying to contain the war, not expand the war. And this kind of sends the message that we're OK with expanding the war. And I think we should be sending a different message, end quote. So Massey, Boebert, Gates and Davidson and 53 other House Republicans, they all voted against that $40 billion Ukraine aid bill that passed way back in May. And since then, uh, the new aid for Ukraine has has been rolled into other massive spending bills. In September, it, it was rolled into a, a bill that they, a funding bill that they needed to pass. So you can't, so there were more people that voted against it, but you can't really gauge like if they were voting against the Ukraine aid. This $40 billion roll call, I think, is a good sign of who really opposes it. And 53 House Republicans is a significant number. I mean, it's small. It's not a majority by any means, but it's still significant. And uh, while there is this dissent among Republicans, the majority of GOP members in Congress still support arming Ukraine, uh, very much so, (laughs) as we saw with Lindsey Graham. And Republican leadership is extremely, extremely, extremely hawkish on the issue, you know, worse than Biden, uh, including uh, McCall, uh, Michael McCall. Uh, I went over recently. He's a Republican from Texas, and he's expected to lead the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He's criticized President Biden for not sending Ukraine more advanced and longer range weapons. He said Ukraine should be given these weapons so they could strike Crimea, similar to what Lindsey Graham said now what these what they're calling for are you know more overt attacks on Crimea we've seen some Ukrainian drone strikes and some explosions and and the truck bombing of the the Crimean bridge but not so much just launching missiles there more covert stuff that Ukraine's not taking credit for but Russia responds to that stuff with huge escalations they didn't start bombing Ukrainian energy infrastructure until after the Crimean bridge was blown up so this is what, you know, it's a, it, it would invite an even bigger escalation. And who knows what the next step for Russia would be. So it's just totally reckless. And then, of course, uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, he said this week that arming Ukraine was the number one priority of most Republicans. So while there is some opposition to this policy, and I think it's significant, I don't think we should just dismiss it. I think we should encourage it. Um, it's still... Uh, you know, not the majority by any means need to be realistic about this. All right, the next article here, 
Putin, the Russian president, says that the sooner the conflict in Ukraine ends, the better. So he said this on Thursday, and he said that Russia's goal was to end the war in Ukraine as soon as possible, and that the fighting would inevitably end through a diplomatic solution. He said ending it, you know, the sooner the better. And his comments came after Zelensky visited Washington, and while he was there, he said that he would not compromise to reach a peace deal with, to reach a just peace, as they put it. And Zelensky's demands for talks are the complete withdrawal of Russian forces from territory that Russia has captured. Um, And those are a non-starter for Moscow, as Russian officials are saying that they're never going to leave this territory. And with their positions so far apart, it's unlikely that any sort of peace talks are going to happen in the near future unless the U.S. decides to press Ukraine to seek a negotiated solution. That's really the only way I think something could happen anytime soon. And of course, look at what they're saying. Look at what Biden's saying, most people in Congress. That's extremely unlikely. And as the war drags on, you know, Ukrainian civilians are really suffering as Russia has just been pounding the energy infrastructure. Millions of people are without power and heat. It's a really horrible situation for them. And much earlier in the war, I just had to mention in this article that Russia and Ukraine seemed close to reaching a deal after holding in-person peace talks in Istanbul. This was way back in March. And these negotiations were discouraged by the West. Boris Johnson, who was the prime minister at the time of, of the UK, he went to Kiev and he urged Zelensky not to negotiate with Moscow And according to Ukrainian media, his visit was a major factor in the scuttling of negotiations. Turkey, who hosted the Russia-Ukraine peace talks, said later in April, this was still back then, that some NATO members wanted the war in Ukraine to continue to make Russia weaker. And just a few days after Turkey said that, Lloyd Austin, U.S. Secretary of Defense, admitted that the U.S. goal in Ukraine was to weaken Russia. So they really were against any kind of peace talks earlier in the war. And Putin on Thursday, he also discussed the Patriot missiles that the U.S. is is announced that it is going to provide Kiev. He said that Moscow would be able to crack the system and that the aid was just another attempt by the U.S. to prolong the war. Um, All right. So the next one here, this is about the Patriot's. And the Pentagon is considering training Ukrainians on how to use them inside the U.S. So this is according to a report from Politico that cited two unnamed Pentagon officials. They're considering training uh, Ukrainians how to use the Patriots uh, at a military base inside the United States. Excuse me. So the Pentagon, the U.S., has been training Ukrainians on how to use other U.S.-provided weapons like the HIMARS in Germany, and there's been training going on elsewhere in Europe, but there hasn't been a training program like this inside the U.S. since since Russia invaded. Um, so the most recent U.S. weapons package for Ukraine, $1.85 billion weapons package, it includes one Patriot battery and munitions for the system, and these things are made by Raytheon, um, and they're said to be the, the most advanced American uh, air defense missile system. According to military experts, it should take about six months to train Ukrainians how to use the system. And and judging by that timeline, it it would put them 
if they started training Ukrainians pretty soon, it, it would put them on the battlefield by early summer. And operating one Patriot battery requires about 90 troops. And this really demonstrates how advanced the system is. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they, even if they train the Ukrainians on this, that they either send, you know, a handful of American soldiers in there, you know, undeclared and don't tell anybody, or maybe some private contractors, just because, again, because they're so advanced. So it's just another way of how the U.S. could get much more involved in this war. And and even just training, even though, you know, they are training Ukrainians at American military bases already, doing it inside the U.S. like this would be pretty symbolic of the U.S. continuing to grow its involvement in the war. Um, so if it happened, it would likely likely be in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where U.S. officials said that most of the trainers for Patriots and simulators are located at that base. And the report said that the Pentagon is considering whether to do all the training in the U.S. or to complete other portions of it in a third country in Europe. And one official said that the U.S. would not give Ukraine the battery until its forces know how to use it, until they're fully trained, is what they're saying. And and the this the weapons are they're likely going to come from um US military stockpiles that are in storage cuz the US has a lot of patriots deployed but they're not going to come from there they're going to come from one that's in storage all right the next article here um this is a little redundant <coughs> with that one about putin that i just had russian officials say that zelensky visit to dc shows the us is not interested in peace so that was the main reaction from Russian officials um, that, you know, by hosting Zelensky, pledging more aid, it showed that, you know, the U.S. wants to prolong the war. So Maria Zakharova, she's the Russian foreign ministry spokeswoman. She said, quote, the talks in Washington showed that neither Ukraine nor the United States seek peace. They are simply determined to continue fighting, end quote. Um, and then we also had Dmitry Peskov. He's the spokesman for the Kremlin. He said that the U the new U.S. aid package for Ukraine is going to drag out the war. He said, quote, this is not conducive to a speedy settlement, quite the contrary. And this cannot prevent the Russian Federation from achieving its goals during the special military operation, end quote. And then uh, Anatoly Antonov, he's the Russian ambassador to the U.S. He made similar comments. He said, quote, what was essentially announced to applause and sarcastic smirks was the need to continue the proxy war against our country, end quote. And there he was talking about Ukrainians' address, uh, Zelensky's address to Congress. So that's the overall message coming from Moscow after Zelensky's trip to Washington. Okay, so the next article here, Netanyahu over in Israel, uh, he has formed his new Israeli government, his coalition government with far-right partners. This is from Middle East Eye. So we know he formed this coalition with very extreme uh, political parties in Israel, settlers that want to push the Palestinians out. And he announced this on Wednesday night that he, he said, I got it, uh, and that he has... Uh, formed his government before the deadline that was sent by the Israeli president. So really the big thing here about this government 
I think, is Bezalel Smotrich, who is the leader of the religious Zionism party in Israel. He's going to get a nice uh, post as a, a new minister in the defense ministry, and he's going to have a lot of control over the West Bank and approving settlements and knocking down Palestinian homes and other Palestinian construction. So there could really be an expansion uh, of de facto annexation of the West Bank through settlements. And also Itmar Ben-Gavir, he's the leader of Israel's Jewish power party. He's also going to get a good position. Um, so it's not good news for the Palestinians. And then to, we'll see how this plays out with the Abraham Accords. You know, when Netanyahu signed those deals during, under his last government with the UAE and Bahrain, he said he wouldn't. He promised not to annex the West Bank. And, uh, you know, I've seen Israelis, you know, and not even uh, necessarily really pro-Palestinian Israelis, Israelis say that this is like de facto annexation. Um, so we'll see if the Gulf Arab countries really care. Uh, I don't think they really care too much about the Palestinians, but I think the governments, I think their people do. Um, so we'll see how this plays out. Okay, so the next article here. Yemen's Houthis want civil servants' salaries reinstated before resuming peace talks. So this is by uh, Josia Thayer. This is from our blog, um, but this is an important thing that uh, he wrote here about how the Houthis, Ansar Allah, as they're also known, um, just held some talks with Oman. So Oman sent a delegation to Yemen this week in an effort to reignite peace talks. Oman has been a major mediator between Yemen and the Saudis and everything. You know, they have an interest in peace because they border Yemen. They don't want this war to be going on. Um, and just to, this is a really good article that you guys should go check out. But the news aspect of it here is that the Houthis made public statements following the meeting with Omani officials in Sana'a and stated that the peace talks should involve working to resume salary payments for civil servants who are the backbone of the economy in Yemen. So that's kind of their precondition is that Yemeni, you know, the Yemeni government that the U.S. recognizes has basically been in exile since 2015. Um, Hadi, the former president, was, you know, has basically been running this war from a hotel in Riyadh. Um, he was just recently replaced by this presidential council um, but so hopefully something gets going here and that because still there hasn't been Saudi airstrikes since the ceasefire expired in October. So it's a very fragile piece, but it's still holding. And unfortunately, you know, nobody in Congress has this, had the spine to push through that Yemen war powers resolution. Bernie Sanders decided not to hold the vote. He might not have gotten enough votes anyway, and, and Biden would have vetoed it, but he still had to hold the vote. Because apparently some enough Republicans might have supported it to pass it. And even if Biden vetoed it, it would have sent a message. It would have changed things. But Sanders caved. Um, but so hopefully, you know, some some they need a real peace deal or the war could just always escalate again. Um, so hopefully this moves in the right direction. Uh, but that's it for the news for me for today. Uh, we have some great viewpoints. Uh, one from Ted Snyder about five statements that could change the war. I'm talking about 
things that have been said about the war in Ukraine. One from David Stockman, uh, after the Zelensky spectacle, let the partition begin. So David Stockman, you know, his blog, the Contra Corner, we always usually reprint his foreign policy stuff, which is very good. So definitely go read that. Uh, one from Brett Wilkins, Warren Jacobs accused Pentagon of vastly undercounting civilian civilians killed by the U.S. military. And one from Caitlin Johnstone that's funny that the Pentagon, Barbara Starr, the reporter from CNN, just retired apparently. And the U.S. military, you know, thanked her for her service, basically. Uh, it was from U.S. Central Command, which oversees operations in the Middle East. Uh, they said that her reporting has brought this nation closer to its military. She's, she was basically a, a Pentagon stenographer. And this just makes it very obvious uh, that when she retires, you know, the military says something like that. We also, we have a great uh, spotlight over from the pe people at Fee about the Christmas truce of 1914, because this is our page for Christmas weekend. And the, tr the Christmas truce is just really an amazing story about how they stopped fighting during World War One, came out of the trenches and hung out and played soccer together and smoked together and then went back to killing each other. So there's a lot of lessons that can be learned out of there. And we have a whole section about it. Articles just over the years about the Christmas truce, really one of the most interesting things that's ever happened in the history of war. Um, so anyway, on that note, I hope everybody who celebrates has a good Christmas. We're going to be taking a long weekend. So again, uh, I'll be back Monday writing and recording to put out a show for Tuesday. Uh, thanks everybody for supporting the show this year as you know, we launched it. Um, I think, uh, I've been pretty happy with it. I appreciate all the feedback. Let me know ways you think we could improve it. And you could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. And, you know, one of the best things you could do is share the show, like, and subscribe on YouTube and all that good stuff. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. I'll talk to you next week.